0: We don't get any behavior change really when we come from a place of judgment with other people. Once we trigger shame, it often drives people back to the habits that help soothe that pain, whether that's eating too much, drinking alcohol, more time on phones. So that space of compassion is really important. And I think understanding that the habits people have at this point in time do serve some need, So it may serve the need of reducing anxiety. It may help soothe the feeling of feeling lonely. Um, So it's serving some need. It just may not be serving the highest need or the highest value that they want at that point in time. You know, most people's desire to change health behaviors, I think, does come from some element of pain.
1: Welcome to the MediHerb podcast, where we discuss all things related to herbal medicine, nutrition, and lifestyle practices. From ancient wisdom to the latest in scientific research, join us for conversations with leading experts, practitioners, and pioneers in the field of natural healthcare. Hello, my name is Jason. I'm a naturopath and the practitioner education manager at Integra Healthcare. Today I'm talking to Sue Reed. Sue is a registered psychologist, founder and director of Life Unlimited Psychology, and a former elite athlete track and field who competed nationally and internationally. She was also a goalkeeper for the Australian national women's soccer team, the Matildas. She truly understands what it takes to be physically and mentally tough. She lives it and shares her knowledge and skills with the corporate world as well as athletes and military personnel and people who want to make positive changes in their lives. In clinical practice for over 18 years, Sue combines her psychological and physical training disciplines to assist her clients to achieve optimal health. She has a particular interest and passion for helping people to navigate their way through trauma, chronic illness, and preventing burnout. Hope you enjoy our discussion. So, welcome to the Medihub podcast. Sue, it's lovely to have you here. And I know that our practitioners love hearing from you. Um, Today, really, you know, I think what I wanted to talk about was the fact that as healthcare practitioners, a large part of our prescriptions are around diet and lifestyle modifications. So we might, you know, tell people you need to exercise more or you need to stop having you know coffee or whatever particular um, sort of dietary advice we might give. And um, you know, we often talk about stress reduction. And this can this can get pretty daunting for the client. and um, we do you know tend to sort of hand out these diet sheets um, and or you know, prescriptive around certain other lifestyle modifications. But often what they're lacking is the strategies on how to create and maintain these healthy habits. And I think if you can offer your insight into the psychology of creating these healthier habits and breaking those negative ones so that we can better support our patients. So I guess in light of that, can you give us some insights into that psychology of how those habits are formed? and why we get attached to certain patterns or habits, even when we know that they're not good for us.
0: Yeah, and thank you so much for having me. And I think, yeah, fundamentally, this is a large part of what psychology is about, which is how do we help people change behaviours and ideally implement behaviours, I would say, that are more in line with their core values, with who they want to be, with how they want to show up in the world, and ultimately have behaviours that serve each person as a, as well as it can. Um, as we know, our habits really create our identity and um, some of our habits serve us really well. Some of our habits don't serve us particularly well. And, and I think, um, like you said, very often, I know it's easy in psychology or in any other field just to give particularly lifestyle prescriptions okay. um, but often not with a lot of information or a lot of guidance as to how do we put that in place mm-hmm. um and i think just that content's more context more broadly at the moment of recognizing our lives are pretty full they're very busy um and it's also very easy over time to slip into um, these small adjustments in lifestyle behavior that that might move into what we'd see as bad habits that aren't serving us particularly well um so I think the first step is, you know, in order to make some kind of change, we really do have to create some kind of intention and focus um, of what is it we want to put in place. And ultimately, I think we have to be pretty connected with our why. Um, yeah. I kind of come from probably a few different areas. Um one realm that I've found really helpful um, to implement behavior change for people is a field of what's called acceptance and commitment therapy, yeah. which is a, is a way of seeing things in psychology where I think fundamentally we start with identifying values, what are our values around health, around relationships, leisure, um, work, community, environment, um, and you know, then getting some sort of prioritization around that. I always think we only have 168 hours in a week. We may be able to have everything, but we certainly can't have it all at once. And so at any stage in life, um, we we may have certain core values, but some of these can really be competing with each other. So mm-hmm. the first step of stepping back and taking some time to recognize at this point in time, given who I am and what stage of life I'm at and my core values yeah. Where are the areas that I want to invest the most amount of time or priority and action? Mm-hmm. Um, and once we get some clarity around that and what that looks like, the, the values yeah. that we want to put some attention into, then we've really got to drill it down into specifics. Mm-hmm. So what are the actions and behaviours that are going to reinforce me acting in line with my values? And I think at one level we can forget this step of um, even as a practitioner, we may have great intentions. That we want people to change. But if they're not fully signed up to that or committed, or they don't understand the benefit um, and how it's going to fit into their lifestyle, improve their lifestyle in some way, we're, we're probably already starting from a more limited base, like a poor outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, so the why and the values is pretty important. Um, and I think, you know, and sometimes with health, um where we may often want to see that we want sim- some symptoms to go away um and what we do know is fear-based goals or avoidance-based goals probably aren't as successful as mm-hmm. things that motivate us into feeling better um and more broadly than this there's lots of things i would say in our society now that are really good at stealing our time and attention away from us um that lead us into kind of worse habits rather than than helpful habits
1: I think um, from what you were just saying, Sue, there's a few things that stand out for me. So just the fact that you know stepping back um, and looking at how much time do we actually have, and what is it that we want to spend that time on, like you said, which aligns with the values, rather than trying to fit one more thing into our busy schedule, or you know make that change where we already packed to the max with all the things that we're juggling. In any case. And I think that's really something um, that we tend to forget. Like it's just add this in or change that without actually stepping back and saying, "What kind of you know time frame do we have, and how does this fit in with how I want to you know show up?" As you said, because a large part of who we are is what we do on a on a regular basis. And um, I, I like the fact that you know that fear base. So how do you actually then? do communicate that message, which might be something they need to hear, but you don't want to, you know, sort of have that fear factor in it. How do you communicate that message in a health situation where they do need to make that change, um, if they were to avoid certain, you know, consequences, but with compassion and understanding.
0: Yeah, and I think that's that's actually a really key point. I think we don't get um any behavior change, really, when we come from a place of judgment with other people. And I think probably far too often, we can be quite judgmental or shaming. Once we trigger shame, it often drives people back to the habits that help soothe that pain, whether that's eating too much, drinking alcohol, more time on phones. Um, So that space of compassion is really important. And I think understanding that The habits people have at this point in time do serve some need. So it may serve the need of reducing anxiety. It may help soothe the feeling of feeling lonely. Um, So it's serving some need. It just may not be serving the highest need or the highest value that they want at that point in time. So I think coming from a perspective of, you know, I I rarely like to use the terms good or bad, but in, in this sense, we're really thinking what's maybe unhelpful, in terms of what it's serving for you right now, what's a little more helpful? Um, and then, I, um, you know, most people's desire to change health behaviors, I think, does come from some element of pain. I know, even for myself, probably the the reason that health is such a priority for me is I lost my health pretty badly. Kind of at the end of my sporting, elite sporting career, I had a multitude of injuries. I fractured my spine. I had a lot of virus damage and gut damage. Um, And I think what I really recognised was when I lost my health, I lost the capacity to do other meaningful things in my life. So I try and attach now the priorities around health to really recognising the positive association that when I invest time in my health and I feel healthy, I can show up better in my life. So that positive pull is, um, one, I feel better, but two, I can be a better psychologist. I've got better energy to travel, to engage as a family member, as a dog owner, um, (laughs) to go to the beach, to kind of do enjoyable things. So um, rather than the kind of shaming avoidance side of it, I try and really draw towards what are the the actions that it allows me to kind of um, put into my life when I prioritise health. Um, So I think, you know, there's there's some discussion around that is what are the values? I think I remember really clearly working with a woman who um, wanted to lose weight. She'd been obese most of her life, um, had a lot of health issues, and she'd had all the discussions and all the things of being told what to do from various health practitioners, most of which came from quite a judgmental place and triggered a lot of shame, which really reinforced the behaviours. And all we did was step back and start to look at values. One, what's driving some of it? And there were lots of reasons why, um, you know, she got to that point and and very understandable reasons. Um, but when we really talked about, like, A, do you want to lose weight? Do you want to change in any way? And if you did, what would be the strong driver or motivator? And wow. for her, actually, um, it was... No one had ever asked her that before. And the the most important thing, she's like, what I've always wanted to do is travel around the world. And she had some countries she wanted to go to and some really key things. And and as she was getting on in life, she was like, this is not possible in my current health state. And so we just actually really clearly, so this driver of what you want to do and travel, when would you do it? What would that look like? We built the picture of something that would drive her towards that. And I think within 12 months, she'd lost 58 kilos. Wow. And really I had to do very little at one level except very curiously question what was not my motivation. You know, my motivation or her doctors might have been, we want to reduce risk of heart disease or diabetes or other things. But her motivation was I actually want to feel alive and be able to travel the world and, and live this lifelong dream. Um, and that provided this efficient kind of... Um, not just motivation, but the long-term driver to then reflect on each day according to her values in that moment, which action would serve her better. Mm. Um, and once we've kind of got that tied, it, it activates a bit higher in the brain for us to, you know, a perspective that we can come back to of this is what my motivator is. Um, and from there, then we've got to funnel it down and we can go into this a little bit more from values and drivers and that initial motivation how do we get more specific about turning that into action? And that's really kind of the next step of this.
1: Yeah, So tying back to what you said earlier, the why. And, you know, the goal here was not losing weight. That was actually what needed to happen to reach the goal, which was to be able to travel. So stepping back and, and yeah, that's amazing because, like you said, everybody else would have looked at it from a different perspective and not really asked her what was, you know, apart from you know, being healthier and all the rest of it, what was it really that was um, what she wanted out
0: of it? And we do get caught quite a bit as practitioners thinking um, our values are the right ones (laughs) or that that health in and of itself is the right one. Um, But then, you know, it brings up resistance. People don't really like being told what to do, first and foremost. And secondly, Um, really any extrinsic motivation in that sense is going to be less valuable and less reliable than intrinsic motivation Um, and for some people they'll go well well, chocolate does taste better than broccoli Um, so (laughs) I'll err on this and I'll go for the immediate reward but when we bring it back to actually this really powerfully aligns with my values and allowing me to to live the life I want to live that once we can instill that that really powerfully motivates. And and it lets, it means your work is kind of more done for you. But, and, and really part of that is about curious questioning. I mean, I use a, a worksheet, which is we call a life compass, which is just highlighting the different areas of people's life. So each of the different areas and starting off with getting them to rate on a scale of one to 10, how important is this area of your life to you at this point in time? And so that, you know, and this can even be quite confronting for people because it's what, when we step back and pause, looking at what do I think is important versus what is actually important, um, and, say, and and we might rate that actually, I'm a bit mean, I get people to do it as a forced choice. So when you really step back, where do you rate your health versus work, parenting, partnering, relationships, leisure time, learning, personal development, um, community, environment? There's a range of different areas and, and rarely... Um, when we step back, would we go, well, work's more important than my relationships or my family. But then when we do the second step, which is um, if we rate it on a scale of 1 to 10, how well am I doing in this area of my life right now based on my actions, It can we can see that there's some gaps there at times. We might go, actually, I say my family or my health is really important, but I spend every waking moment consumed with work. Um, there might be a mismatch. Or I'm saying this area is important, but I'm investing a lot of time in, in all of these other areas. Um, so either that's not important or we've got a little bit off track and that divergence. But even that snapshot of highlighting where are we at and where um, what's important to us and where are we at based on our actions at the moment, it's confronting, but it also helps us then take some steps of saying, Where would I like to close the gaps? Mm. Where is most important for me at this point in time? Um, So um, and but that curious questioning, helping people get the motivation from their own values helps us then turn it into more specific. And I think the next step really is about what behaviours, what actions Mm. will will you need to put in place on a regular basis to align with this broader value? Um, Yeah. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. So we know that we have to create this roadmap and that you know it has to align with the values that you know we want to reach that goal. But with all the distractions that come our way and all the well-meaning, you know, advice that might come, or even just um I guess it's really easy to sort of start to crave something that we've become so used to having, which we know now doesn't align. How can we um Empower our patients to stay true to
0: those goals. Yeah, and this is where I think we have to get very specific. And the step that's probably often missed after values is we then we have to turn that into behaviors and actions, and we have to make a plan. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably the most I would say one of the most influential books that impacted me in in terms of habits very early in life um, was Seven Habits of Highly Effective People um, by Stephen Covey, and What I loved and I I realised looking back, I used diligently every single week was a worksheet that he had in there, um, which just had down the left-hand column, what are the values that you want to um, take action in this week? What are the different areas of your life? And then there was a map of each week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, through to Sunday, um, recognising that we only have 168 hours in each week, and then you would map out your key priorities first in a timetable you know, and we've got fancier technology now, and this is where technology can be helpful for Mm. scheduling and putting meetings in. But rarely do I think we use it to actually schedule in the most important priorities first. So Mm. like I said, for me, if health is really important, I live a pretty busy life, so I really have to make time for it. But at the start of the week, I still kind of use that that, um, protocol and that idea of let's look at the week ahead and schedule in the most important priorities first of all whether that's um, meditation or breathing or exercise or taking the right um, supplements that I might want to take from working out, when am I going to do shopping so that there's food in the fridge? If it's not scheduled in, it's very unlikely to happen. Even if it's scheduled in, there's still a little hiccup there that it can, we can still, and these are the two other things we get into around emotions and thoughts. Um, It's still, um, challenging to push through but if we've not made a plan for it the chances of it happening are, are kind of less than zero yeah. <laughs> or that happen by chance and they're not systematic and one of the um, one of the other great books i refer people to Atomic Habits by James Clear I think one of the really great quotes that he has is recognizing that we don't rise to the level of our goals we fall to the level of our systems mm-hmm. and I think equally when I think back about being an athlete People often say, oh, you must be really motivated or, you, you know, it's easy for you because you're motivated. But the reality is um, the motivation there is somewhere. You want to achieve some outcome. You want to go to the Olympics. You want to play for your country. There's something you want to do. But what, how you get there is you have a very structured, systematic process, and often that's really supported by a broader environment. Your coach schedules it. Your team coach schedules it. You've got gym sessions. Really all we had to do is turn up, train yeah. really hard and follow the plan. If the plan was, um, you know, maybe go to the gym once a week, possibly go to training, <laughs> it was probably very low probability that we we're going to have a good outcome in the future. Um, what really we, we learned to do is to put in place systems that reliably moved us towards those broader outcomes or those broader goals. Having the goal or the motivation is a starting point, but it's really got to come back to the process. And this can get down to if I was working with someone one-on-one and they're wanting to put a behavior change in place, we'd say, okay, so, you know, and people might say something like, I want to exercise more, I want to read more, I want to take my supplement, you know, very um, broad things. And what our brain really needs is specificity. If you say I want to exercise more, what your brain hears is, maybe I'll go for a walk before I die, which is (laughs) not particularly specific or helpful. If someone says, okay, we want to exercise more, let's, you know, make sure we've aligned it with values. What's it going to give to you? What's the action that's going to be most helpful? Then we've really got to move into the specifics of when is this action going to be most successful? Yeah. And without fail, if we if we stick around the health front of things, um, people say to me, you know, they may not have exercised in 15 years. Right, Monday morning, 5 o'clock, I want to do an hour's run. I was like, okay, well, are we setting you up for success or are we setting you up for failure? Let's step back even from there into that um, preparation phase. Have you ever got up at 5 o'clock before in your life? No. Okay, probably not a great way to start. Have you exercised in the last 15 years? No. Um, So we might start with, you know, what's the most likely behaviour that you are going to be successful with in the structure of your life right now? And what's the smallest scalable amount? Now, the reality is, and this means get out the planner and look with people. Okay, well, I take my kids to um, soccer training on Monday night at 5.30 p.m. Okay, what do you do then? Well, I sit in the car and I scroll on my phone for an hour. Okay, so would it be possible at that time to take your sneakers with you and walk around the Oval for 15 minutes or 30 minutes? Um, And, you know, okay, yes, I could or I can't. Let's explore that a little bit more. What would get in the way of doing that? what's going to improve the chances of doing that. Um, And then what I would do with people is we write it down and we put it in the calendar. Okay, so Monday at 5.30 p.m., I will do a 30-minute walk while my kids are playing soccer. On Wednesday morning at 7 a.m., um, which is, you know, maybe there's a gap, I will do 20 minutes of a walk outside with a dog. On Friday at 5.30 p.m., I'll attend this yoga class that I found and we book that in. We so we start small, successful. It does have to go within the scope of someone's life at that point in time. Um, and generally will need to be some compromise, you know, around that. And that's where we've got to come back to value. So they they do have to prioritize it, but we schedule that in on review. Rather, we don't want to be judgmental about it, but want to say, okay, let's have a review, what worked and what didn't work, what was successful and what wasn't. If someone comes back and says, no, I absolutely didn't do it or I did it once and not three times or I did 15 minutes, not 30 minutes. Really, we say, ah, maybe we aim too high. Maybe we've got to scale that back to something more realistic. We make that successful. And when we review it, we look at, do we increase from here? Do we maintain? Do we add a little bit more in? Um, Certainly, you know, as humans, we do like to feel successful. So if we set it and more often than not, I see people set themselves up for failure. They go, I'm going to do, you know, full um uh, you know, an hour of meditation everywhere every day for the next week i'm going to take this drastic action we're going to exercise and change my diet it works for a couple of weeks but often then it's not sustainable sustainable and we collapse if we can notice two things one that we can take action in a small way that moves us towards our values we feel successful we notice a bit of benefit and we're more likely to do it I think also once you've set the broader goal and outcome and aligned it with values, um, it's important also to come back to getting people to notice when they have done it, acknowledge the success, and secondly, notice the feeling they get when they complete that action. Mm -hmm. And it's why something, for example, like weight loss as a goal is a very poor motivator. You go for a run once, you look in the mirror, and you're like, I didn't lose any weight. I'm not going to do it anymore. When you come back and notice, but how do you feel when you took that action? Well, I felt proud of myself. I actually felt much healthier. Um, My energy was better. I slept better even in that moment. When people notice the benefit of the feeling of completion, even on one repetition, we are more likely to repeat that behaviour. And the big thing I think to get across to people is it's about repetition of behaviour. We get better the more of what we practise. And if we start small and we do it regularly, we it's much easier to stack from there than if we start too big, fail, and then not go back to that. If that, I don't know if that makes sense or yeah, if that's-
1: absolutely. I think um, you know the goal the motivation comes from that goal that you want to reach, like going to the Olympics or, you know, losing weight or whatever it might be. But in in the moment, that motivation is almost non-existent for everyone. No one wants to get out of bed, you know, at okay. 5 in the morning or 5 in the morning. And it's almost like you have to bypass, um, like, don't think about it, just do it.
0: <laughs> yes, and, we, and you're right, we have to do two things there because this is another important part of it is we have to automate things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if people lay out their exercise clothes the night before needing to do it, we're 100% more likely to do it. Yeah. Um, certainly social accountability is another element to this. If we're accountable to another person, we're about 400% more likely to do it. And I know myself, if I go, oh, I've got to go to the gym at this time, it's really easy to talk myself out of it. If I'm like, I'm meeting a trainer or a friend or I've got a class, is there's actually very little resistance. We we take away the resistance and the barrier and it's much easier to motivate and to move along to it. So we do have to create the systems that automate and support it. And that's the first part of the process. Do you have exercise shoes in this instance? Do we, have we created the space for it? Have we checked our body and our systems? Do we have clothes? You know, let's put those systems in place. Um, but the other two things that we have to make space for, and this is what we also forget So you need to know what your values are, maybe what the longer-term goal is that we're moving towards. But in terms of taking the actual behaviour, there's two big things that get in the way. Um, One is making space for the challenging emotional experiences that come up when we're about to take a certain behaviour. The second is our own mind is Mm -hmm. one of the biggest distractors from us taking effective action. And like you just said, as soon as we think about it, oh, it's cold outside or this is, you know, it's very easy to talk ourselves out of it. And maybe as a practical example, the way I would relate that to myself, um, and let's say, you know, more than anyone, I should be able to exercise. I've exercised professionally. I've done it most of my life. Um, It's now one of, you know, health is one of my primary values. Mm -hmm. The actions, however, to stay healthy are not that easy. Yeah. And they involve actually setting a lot of boundaries. They involve saying no to some things in order to make space for health-related activities. So although I want to stay healthy, in reality what that means is I've got to buy certain foods and cook certain meals. I've got to um, say no to certain social occasions so I can do certain um, physical-related activities. I've got to make space for meditation and breathing and yoga. (laughs) Um, But So I might say, okay, on the values worksheet, health is 10 out of 10 important. Yeah. Practical tool. I know for myself, exercise is one of the most important, actually, mental health strategies for myself. When I exercise regularly, I think yeah. more clearly. I sleep better. I'm a better psychologist. I'm just a better person already. <laughs> um, and everyone in my life knows it. Like, if i no, to exercise, I definitely um, don't show up as effectively. Day to day, I know my weeks change quite a lot. So each say, Saturday or Sunday, I sit down, look at the calendar, and I work out where is my first priority of exercise going to go um i will map the times out whether it's the morning or the evening if i'm going through a particularly busy time i won't leave that to chance mm-hmm. i know well my mind's probably going to want to talk me out of this so mm-hmm. i might book a class and pay for it or book a trainer or something that actually gives me a system that requires accountability um but very interestingly i know when i feel better when i do exercise i feel better everything is better it's a core priority at 6 a.m. for me or whatever time, 5. 30, 6 a.m. when the alarm goes off, perhaps to go outside, particularly where I live in Canberra, yeah. in the middle of winter, it might be minus six degrees. All of a sudden, my mind tells me none of the reasons why I actually want to go outside and do this action. What's much more likely to show up is avoidance-based thoughts. So my mind says something like, it's cold. Um, why do I live in Canberra? I don't need to do this. I'm going to stay in bed where It's warm my knees hurt, my back hurts, my mind will say things like, you know what, I've exercised enough for three lifetimes. I don't really need to do that. Maybe I shouldn't judge myself on how I look. I don't need to go and exercise. I better stay and pay attention to my relationship or the dog or it will say things like, I don't have time, I'll do it later, I'll do more on the weekend. Um, if I do it now I'll be late for work and that'll be unprofessional so there's about 35 I'm thoughts. reading my mind or what <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs>
0: there's about you know 30 or 40 thoughts that show up for all of us when we do yeah. this Have you had that experience as well you've done <laughs> yeah. All of you, yeah and we and very interestingly though the moment we agree with our mind and we go you know what it is cold. I will do it later. Or (laughs) I feel sick. I've probably got COVID. I definitely (laughs) should exercise. The second we buy into those thoughts, and it's now too late to go. And we don't take that action. What's the first thing our mind shows up with then? What do we typically experience? Uh, Relief (laughs) back under the covers? No, maybe initial relief. That's true. And then you feel bad about it and guilty and yeah. And we feel bad. And actually, our mind kicks into this space of going, You lazy, ill disciplined, terrible person. You yeah. couldn't even get up and go for a run. It usually goes into quite a kind of recrimination process of beating ourselves up. Now, if we step back from that, we go, well, Hang on, weren't you this little guy five seconds ago telling me not to go? <laughs> now that I've done what you said, you you're now beating me up for having done that. And the reality is what our our mind is always trying to help us avoid pain. The way we resolve problems in the outside world, if there was um, bad weather, we get out of the bad weather. If there was a wild animal, we avoid the wild animal. If you touch a stove and it's hot, you pull away. We don't sit in those spaces of pain for too long. Unfortunately for us, the mind applies this problem-solving strategy internally And when we feel challenging emotions, our mind automatically helps us out with what appear to be very rational, reasonable reasons to avoid the action that brings up the pain. Hmm. Really difficult thing for us as humans is the most important stuff in life that we have to do will necessarily involve sitting with some emotional pain. And for me in this instance, the pain is a few things. One, when I get up to exercise now, I'm just not as good as I used to be. So I, instead of being, you know, someone who trained full-time all the time, I go to go for a run and I'm like, I'm about as fast as a tortoise now. And this doesn't feel good. Or I really do have physical pain. You know, my knees hurt, my back hurts, my ankles hurt from kind of too many things. Um, I've got more competing demands. So there's those feelings of, Oh, if I take this time for myself, am I really being selfish, taking it away from the family? Um, Maybe I could prioritise clients or work or family or something else. Uh, Now, we can't automatically take those feelings away. The feelings that come up might be I feel guilty, I feel selfish, I feel compressed for time, I feel the pain of what it feels like to be in my body and not be as good as before. So the mind's like, you know what, that's a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm going to help you out and throw up all of these thoughts that help you avoid taking action. And you arrive right before we experience relief. Mm. But what actually happens is we've moved away, we've taken a step away from our values, which depletes our energy and our sense of well being long term. Yeah. The reality is, the only way to push into pain in this sense is we've got to have a really clear sense of why. Mm. And this tool of, you know, and I'm sure everyone's heard of mindfulness and meditation. Really, part of the practice of mindfulness and meditation is to help us understand the role of emotions in our mind and to unhook or defuse from these thoughts and notice the very normal manifestations. This is a core value. I show up to take the action, the action's hard, so mm-hmm. my mind throws up very familiar excuses. Because I kind of do a fair bit of work of noticing the mind just through mindfulness and meditation, I'm really familiar with this story. Oh, here's the I'm not as good as I used to be story. Here's the it's too cold story. It starts to show up. I can hear those thoughts. I can do two things. One is acknowledge and name the story. Thanks, little buddy. It's not that helpful. Or if it's useful information, it's cold. Great information. I'll pop on a jacket and a beanie. So we can use some of the information. But ultimately have to come back to what are my values? Why am I doing this? I know when I finish this, I'm going to feel better. I know when I complete it, it's going to be in line with my values. And, you know, over time we have to learn what serves us well and what doesn't serve us well. I know doing some certain actions are just going to be helpful. So can note the story, but also we've got to be just compassionate to the emotions. I feel this way, but my higher value is I want to take this action because it serves me better. And the reality is, when we can make space compassionately for the emotion, I'm going to take my guilt and my feeling of selfishness and that pain, and go for a little run outside. We build the skill of of being able to manage the emotion and unhook from the thought, and we've completed a repetition. Mm-hmm. The only way to get better at any behavior is to practice it regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, and in sport, you know, we might do. 200,000 repetitions before we know that we can perform an action under pressure. I think in daily life people are like, oh, I tried that once and it didn't work. I'm like, "Mm, once is probably not enough. (laughs) Um, But I think this, yeah, I don't know if that kind of um, helps clarify it, but this Mm -hmm. really what we're wanting to get is mastery over riding the wave of making space for the emotions and also unhooking from the thoughts. And I think when people want to add things into their busy life, they actually get caught at saying, well, I don't want to say no to other things.
1: Mm.
0: Only have 168 hours. You may have to, you actually, you will have to say no to some things in order to make space for new things. Mm. And, And we'll often ask in psychology a willingness kind of question. Are you willing to not pick up your phone in the morning and go and do your Prioritise action first before you look at Instagram, for example. Oh, I don't know if I could do that. Are you willing to make space for the feeling and discomfort or feeling a bit guilty of taking time away from other people to invest in yourself in mm-hmm. order to move towards your values? Mm-hmm. But I think if we aren't prepared or if we don't realise that those difficult emotions are going to come up, we actually trip ourselves up and we fail because we, we can make all the plans we like, but then we go, oh, I felt guilty so I didn't do it. So, um, and the feelings aren't going to go away initially. Mm -hmm. If you've had a lifetime of taking care of everybody else in your life, you've prioritised everyone and now you say, well, my health practitioner said I should look after myself. Um, I'm going to go and spend 15 minutes taking care of myself. The first intense feeling that comes up is guilt and feeling of selfishness and sometimes a deeper story of I'm not worthwhile enough. If we're not prepared to catch that feeling and expect it, oh, there's my feeling of guilt and lacking in worthwhileness, can I be kind to that and can I take one step towards my valued outcomes? Mm -hmm. Um, And and I think when we have that framework, it makes it easier to move through it. If the goals we set are too high, the emotional hurdle is too big yeah you know if you say let's take 1 hour but you've never been successful at 10 minutes the feelings are actually too overwhelming yeah
1: yeah so it's it's those you know manageable bite size you negotiate down based on your you know goal and value outcome that you want to reach but also i think um, importantly in in like you said you know if you're going to wake up and all of these things are going to come to because your mind's looking for a way out of that pain it's actually taking those individual little steps as well like you know dealing with them knowing that it's just a story and it's a familiar story um and and i think for me the way i look at it is you know get out of bed is one step not I'm going for a walk in a minus six degree temperature when I don't want to, but just let's just get out of bed first. And then, like you said, the shoes are there, the clothes have been laid out. Let me just wear my shoes. So, you know, breaking it down, even maybe, um, does that that help, do you think? Um, Yeah,
0: absolutely. And that, um, yeah, the the smaller fragment we can break into. Mm -hmm. And one of the recommendations when we start and you have it like that is even say it out loud. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm putting on my shoes. I'm getting my jacket on. I'm walking to the door. I'm picking up the dog lead. So yeah. that um, sort of naming the action and breaking it into bite-sized chunks, mm-hmm. our brain is pretty good with small concrete information. Mm-hmm. And the um, and making, you know, small things like make the cue visible. Mm-hmm. If, I know, if I have to go, oh, I haven't put my shoes out, I don't know where they are, you've just lost 10 minutes, and that allows space for the mind to creep in with the negative story. So um, the smaller the bite-sized chunks, the better. Mm-hmm. And our brain copes much better with that, that very concrete information.
1: Mm-hmm. Um
0: and I think we we've you know forget if you try and train any mammal, um, it's that's exactly how they train them. It's whether they're dolphins in um doing their kind of shows in, in various environments, it's little small, iterative. Mm-hmm. bits of behavior that are rewarded and and we're kind of the same you know we're complex beings but in reality our habits are about what we make attractive what we make visible um you know if you come home and there's um a, a, a bowl of wine on the counter and a glass sitting there you'll probably pour it yeah. if, if if you have to walk downstairs or you don't have it in the house and you have to go to the shop yes it's possible you still have it but you've made it more challenging and you've put some barriers in place. If we want to create good habits, and this is one of the things out of Atomic Habits that James Clear talks about, and some of this based on these real um, psychological principles of recognising we want to make the cues visible Mm -hmm. that help create a system to move towards our behaviour. We want to make the habit attractive. So it needs to align with our values in some way. Um, And we want to make the steps easy. Like you were saying, you know, that small breaking it down, What's the easiest thing that's going to move me to the next part of this process? Um, And we want to create some kind of instant reward. Now, the reward, I think often we think I went and did that, I better reward myself with, you know, a chocolate. But um, the reward I try and link people to is what's the positive feeling you're experiencing right now when you've taken this action? Um, From intrinsically I feel like I'm acting in line with my values to actually I think better, I breathe better, I'm, you know, um, feeling something beneficial in this present moment. And that's a bit we often forget is that that usually with positive behaviours that, that move us towards where we want to be, even when we've completed one repetition, there's some benefit around that. It's not always easy, but there's some benefit around that.
1: Yeah. It's the same thing as like the goal is, you know, far away, but in the moment, how are you feeling? So it's not like you said, I went for a run. I didn't lose weight, but I went for a run. I felt the fresh air on my face. The sun was out. I, you know, noticed these things and I felt good and I came back more energized um, and that we do forget that, you know, we do forget that. And But it's also sounding like from everything you're saying that, you know, with, we've been using exercises as an example but it's the physical but it's also the mental emotional because you can't do the physical act if your brain's getting in the way and telling you you know giving you all these excuses so you talked about the mindfulness for example um, and you know making time for that as well because again these are eating into you know our busy lives or like you said we you know looking after everybody else and it's taking time away from that one of the things um, I had read a while ago was that you know sometimes when we say that I'm going to meditate at 10 o'clock in the morning or at seven o'clock in the evening and then it doesn't happen because our lives are busy and it's more useful maybe to say I will spend 10 minutes sitting in solitude as soon as I've gone to the you know bathroom in the morning for example so it's linked to a previous activity like brushing your teeth that you do every day rather than a time so that it becomes like a cue does that sort of um help as well yes
0: absolutely and I think we often call that habit stacking so you know most of us you know if you have young kids you'll know they don't always just naturally want to brush their teeth mm-hmm. but so you create some cues for them to brush their teeth most of us as adults probably unconsciously we get up we brush our teeth and hopefully we brush our teeth before we go to bed as well um aligning new habits with things we've always we're already doing absolutely helps us add more positive kind of aligned behaviors within that so and like you said it might be um every time i open the laptop i do 10 push-ups every time i brush my teeth uh, or before i brush my teeth i take one minute to do some breathing practice A really nice one, you know, things that we already have to do, like eat might be um, before I eat, I'm going to put the plate on the table and I'm going to take one minute of deep breathing and smile before I eat, for example. Um, But absolutely, if we can habit stack, to those already established patterns, we can start adding in the behaviours we want on top of those other ones. And really part of that is about reducing the, what we say, reducing the friction, Mm. reducing the barriers to implementing new behaviour. And we forget we all already have habits it's just some of them, do they serve us well, do they not serve us well? So if we can add other things we want to do on top of those ones, then we're we're moving in that right direction. And I think, you know, there's two things here. One, in our busy lives now, um, one element of this is we rarely step back away from the busyness to really assess. Hmm. How am I going according to my values and where I want to be? Where am I actually spending my time? And this is something, again, um, yeah, there's lots of things, I realized I learned from sport after every training period or every competition, you go through a review process.
1: Yeah.
0: What worked, what didn't work? Were we successful, not successful? Uh, And you've got to go through sometimes that painful review when you're successful. It's great. Okay. Let's do more of that. But when things don't go well, okay. What got in the way? And we do that in, I guess, in a non-emotional way. And then we look at how do we apply new learnings to the future? if we can do that in our lives, whether it's weekly or monthly, um, we can start to make these very small positive changes in the direction we need to go. But I think the we rarely cultivate just a little bit of pause moment away from the busyness. And when we do, and even better, when we start to just um, track what we're doing, we notice, oh, actually, it's not so much that I just don't have time. It's where I'm spending my time and what I'm displacing instead of that. And again, that can bring up a little bit of pain. We've got to make space for that compassionately. But I think if if we allow ourselves to pause and reflect and just still breathing, you've got a chance to close the gap between where you're currently behaving and where you'd like it to be. Mm -hmm. But that first, and sometimes when you're working with someone, the review process, okay, let's look at the scope of your life. If they're like, I've got 10 kids and I've got a partner and I've got a job and everything's really hard, okay, um, let's give chores to all those kids and make your life easier. (laughs) Or or let's work out, this is still important, so how are we going to make it work? But let's actually look at what's happening in your life at the moment. Um, And one of the the slightly mean things I often do with clients is get them to track where they're spending their time so there are habit trackers online that you can very easily download and just notice you get um we often get you to write like what just what you did kind of ticket and would you consider that a neutral behavior a bad habit a good habit for you maybe get up you know neutral or good behavior that you woke up got in the shower or woke up looked at my phone The rest of the game was gone. Or I looked at my phone, had a shower, did things. Where does this fit in and how much time are you putting in there? Mm -hmm. I find every single person who comes in um, certainly wanting to change behaviours in psychology, the first thing they'll say is I don't have time, of Mm -hmm. course. But really it's about given we've all got the same amount of time, what are you willing to sacrifice and give up to invest in more of the behaviours you want in the time that you have? Mm-hmm. Um and the big thing now that displaces unconsciously good habits unfortunately is our technology. Yeah. I know if I pick up my phone uh I don't mean to but 20 minutes on Instagram is just gone. Now that's like a rolling session for me or a meditation session. Um so I think that true assessment is quite important and and we get very much into the narrative life so busy life so busy life so busy but then I just do this thing where I just creepily watch people all the time because I'm fascinated with human behavior. We're constantly saying we don't have time. But really, if you assess people's whole day, it's like, we well, said you didn't have time, but there was, you know, two hours on Netflix and three hours on social media and two hours on gaming. And every moment in between every other moment, you were on your device. Now, not from a judgmental perspective, if that's serving you, great. But hey, you just told me this is really important. So if we're wanting to find time, where are we going to take that time from? And, again, you know, it's probably why I love the Stephen Covey book so much is his quadrant of urgent, non-urgent tasks Mm -hmm. and important, not important. Mm -hmm. Most of us spend a lot of time on the urgent and maybe Mm -hmm. the urgent and important or the urgent and not very important, but we don't spend a lot of time in the important, not urgent category. Mm -hmm. These are the the habits that we have to plan. No one's probably going to be pressing us to do, but it's the things like meditation, like getting to bed earlier, like making your bed, like planning the week, um, buying good food on the weekend, things that maybe aren't urgent, but Mm -hmm. they set you up to take action that's more important on a regular basis. Um, And that's, you know, I think the power of pen and paper or, you know, the version of tracking it online is about, assessing where am I actually spending time right now. And we don't do it because it's a bit horrifying when we go, no, I didn't have any time today. And I know I've looked at it and gone, gosh, I spent two hours on social media. Um, If that's in line with my choices, great. But actually, if I'm feeling a bit sick, like it's not at all in line with what I wanted to do and I feel like there are a lot of other more important things, then that's where we can start stealing time. And ideally, we want to start taking time from the non-important non-urgent category which is the okay Why it's it's distractions it's things popping up Um and it's complex with our our phones now because whenever we feel feelings that are difficult to deal with we often want to distract from those feelings and our devices create a great distraction mm. we feel pain we pop out into our phone we avoid it that doesn't actually help us deal with it longer term but it helps us distract but it in the process often displaces from those more important activities
1: yeah the the phones and what they provide us is like the new sugar isn't it
0: <laughs> and and i would say even worse like sugar of course you know and and this is hard like we have you know trillion dollar companies using our biology against us exactly or well, even i think even with the the iphone you know we used to have our thumbprint on there to what you know wake up in the morning put your thumb on it you could turn it off then we started looking at it less. So they changed it to face right. notifications. So face ID, you open it up, you see your notifications. And what they've done is they've lowered the barriers for us checking social media. Oh, I've got 35 notifications. And now I haven't even thought about it unconsciously. You're on your phone for however yeah. long. Um, and I think we've, we've got to use technology to help us put good habits in place. But if we want to break some of these habits, we've actually just got to do the opposite. You know, if we're building a good habit we want to make it obvious. We want to make it attractive, easy, and satisfying. To break a bad habit, we've got to make it invisible. So mm. as simple as, say, with a phone, if you check it first thing in the morning, maybe you plug it in in the ensuite suite or just outside the bedroom door of, um, or in the kitchen. We build some time delay or separation. So we make it invisible. We want to make it unattractive in some way. So whether that's noticing this isn't in line with my values or it actually um, depletes me in some way we need to kind of make that link of making it unattractive we want to make it hard so like I said with the wine on the counter or the beer in the fridge um, not having it there or hiding it actually is going to make it more difficult to have and making it unsatisfying and Mm. so you know we've got to Put these steps in place if we want to start to separate from, from different habits. Um, and again, that takes a little bit of time to step back and go, oh, actually, I want to drink alcohol less, but I, what's getting in the way of that? I walk in, there's wine, there's the glass, I'll have it. Mm-hmm. Can I put some delayed steps in place and put some friction or some barriers in place there? So we want to optimize systems that help us move easily towards what we want to do. And make it harder to to kind of to move away from those things that don't serve us well. Yeah.
1: Well, you've got a um, you've given us a lot to think about, Sue. And I think um, definitely, you know, simplifying our life in many ways is is the key here. Um, we're making our biology work for us rather than against us, and recognizing that you know uh, this is something most people are experiencing today, and it's not just a matter of willpower and in all the stories that you know uh, we're very good at telling ourselves and and um, you know sort of creating that value-based goal-based system and, and then you know what are the steps that we need to take to then achieve those values rather than you know just having these I want to start exercising more or I want to eat better um, like you've explained so beautifully so thank you so much for joining us today And, um, you know, um, we will certainly be looking up some of those resources and books that you've
0: mentioned. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I think ultimately bringing a hint of compassion to the whole process is most important as well. So thank you so much. And to our clients as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you.
1: Thanks. Thanks. For more educational resources, please visit the Integria Practitioner Education Centre at practitioner.integria.com. Please note that this podcast is for general information only and practitioner discretion must be utilised. It is not a replacement for seeking professional health advice, nor should it be taken as medical advice.